Hello, lovelies. Today, I am going to talk about the suppression, destruction, and appropriation of your magic. And please stay with me till the end as I have a doozy for you. It will absolutely blow your mind. We should already be aware that now in our time, doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, Universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom. But what you may not know is that almost as long as there have been humans, those who are in control have been actively and deliberately, through suppression and persecution, they've been destroying magic or your ability to perform magic, both independently and on a collective basis. They're essentially harnessing your magic for their own purposes. So let's get into it. Okay, so first, by definition, magic is occult. The term occult broadly refers to practices, knowledge, or phenomena that are hidden, secret, or beyond ordinary understanding. Now, all of these apply to magic, even though it's all over the internet, right? (laughs) But I mean, you get what I mean. And the occultation of magic in the West is a complex historical process, really, that's unfolded over centuries. Now, it's interesting to note that the suppression of magic began as far back as ancient Egypt itself as Dr. Skinner talks about in Hekka. In Egypt, the Romans uh, also had a bit of difficulty in keeping the local population under control. The, the local population was administered in Greek, and there was a Greek interface between the Egyptians and the, uh, and the Romans. So they figured that perhaps the Egyptians had the kind of magic that was not exactly helpful to their rule. So they decided to remove all of the magical papyri from the temples. Every temple in Egypt had libraries. So this particular emperor in the early years of the Christian era demanded that each temple yield up not its historical papyri, not its bookkeeping papyri, but its magical papyri. He got it all, took it to Alexandria, which was the the center of government in those days, and had it entombed along with the body of Alexander. That's Alexander the Great. The important point is that the magical papyri were removed from the temples, so one generation later, most of the priests didn't have access to these records. But the suppression did not stop there. Here are some key periods and events that contributed to the occultation, the suppression of magic. In ancient Egypt, magic existed over several millennia prior to the Christian era. But as Egypt came under the control of Rome during the period of the Roman conquest in about, I think it was 30 BC, that was when Mark Anthony defeated Cleopatra and established the Ptolemaic kingdom as a Roman province. It's a mouthful. That's when things began to change. The most significant change, as far as magic is concerned anyway, was the replacement of paganism with Christianity. 
The main events which saw the overthrow of paganism happened in just 30 years. These events included the death of the pagan Roman emperor Julian, called the Apostate, in 363 AD, an event which effectively finally withdrew official backing for the pagan world in the Roman Empire. And in 392, the ancient gods were officially classified as evil spirits. Now, although the Romans had legislated against the practice of magic on more than those occasions, the impact of Christian persecution had a much greater impact. For example, the horrendous murder of Hypatia, the last head of the Platonic Academy in Alexandria at the hands of the Christians in 14415 AD, sealed the fate of paganism in Alexandria. So poof, it was done. But it's not always done, right? There's always little seeds, little seeds of magic that continue occulted in any civilization. Number two is medieval Europe from the 5th to the 15th centuries. Think about that. That's 10 centuries. That's a thousand years of persecution. Those of you in the States are probably really familiar with the Salem witch trials that went around Massachusetts in like 1692 and 3 where there were lots of women accused of witchcraft and burned at the stake. Now, this also happened in Africa in various periods and in Papua New Guinea in the 20th century. And look, it hasn't stopped, right? Even in the 21st century, there are still accusations of witchcraft that persist in areas like Nigeria, Papua New Guinea, Saudi Arabia, India, Tanzania and the Central African Republic. So why did all of this happen? Why is it continuing to happen? <laughs> and why has it happened to such a great degree that we don't even really think about magic today? Well, as I said, we do, but we don't operate it today. Well, there's a few ideas for you. First of all, one is the control of knowledge and information, okay? So magic often involves specialized knowledge passed down through esoteric traditions, and authorities may suppress magic to control access to such knowledge, preventing the spread of information that challenges existing power structures. Now, what's super interesting here is that Peter Mark Adams, in his book, The Game of Saturn, he talks about how the elite during the Renaissance used a form of inverse theurgy. I won't explain what that is, but the goal was to control your incarnations back into your own bloodline so that you could maintain the power and the money that you had already received or built or got from your last incarnation. So these guys are actually using magical practices <laughs> to 
to control their birth into their family line. Now, you can see why they wouldn't want that specialized magic or knowledge to get out there, right? Because they don't want somebody else to birth into their family line and get away with all the money and the power. So I know it sounds crazy, but Peter Mark Adams, who's an incredible scholar of this kind of stuff, talks about that in his book and in some of the podcasts that I have with him. So get into the Game of Saturn and lots of other amazing podcasts, okay? Now, another reason um, that it's probably been suppressed <laughs> is fear of the unpredictable. Magical practices often deal with unpredictable aspects of the unseen. Now, the unseen is something that has been completely blocked from our materialist paradigm anyway. You know, you're crazy if you talk about the unseen things as a general rule. And authorities may fear the potential consequences of unpredictable mystical forces leading to the suppression of these practices to maintain order and stability. I mean, this is what they want, order and stability and control. Order, stability and control. And later on, when we get a little bit further, I'm going to tell you how they're using magic themselves to maintain order and stability and control, right? So it's okay for them to have it, but it's not okay for us to have it. That's the bottom line. Now, another thing that, you know, as far as this maintaining order and stability and control is that magic tends to be associated with outgroups. The people that tend to engage in magic tend to be the troublemakers as a general rule. They want to suppress those troublemakers. But none of these come close to, again, the political and uh, stability and control issues. So they all work with that, but overall, fundamentally, <laughs> it's the power that is their big friggin' desire, okay? Their will, their magical will is to have power. So political authorities throughout history have sought to maintain control and stability within their realms through the use of power. Now, we really don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, but Ingo Swan, in uh, his amazing book, The Secret of Power, talks about the idea of power. And honestly, the only way to have power is to have people to have power over. You can't have power without having people to have power over. And he goes into this fact in great detail in these books and he talks about all kinds of ways that they do it, but and I'm not going to go into it here, but basically a lot of it is smoke and mirrors, lies and omissions. And the fact is, is that magically empowered people in an operative society would simply not fall for it. They wouldn't, okay? So in order for them to control, they need to have people who are depowered and specifically magically depowered because magic challenges the dominant narratives and dominant norms, right? And one of the other things that it does is it really encourages like psychological empowerment. Magical practices can be ways for individuals to cultivate a sense of autonomy, a sense of resilience, a sense of resistance. And the inner empowerment may translate into actions that challenge political authority. And they don't like that. 
And here's the big one. And you're going to have to remember this one for later. Because I'm going to go here. Magic causes disruption in established narratives. And it challenges the perceived legitimacy of political authority. Okay, so pin that. Now here's another aspect that's really important. I found a book the other day. It was absolutely mind-blowing. And it's called The Indoctrinated Brain by Dr. Nels, N-E-H-L-S. I'll put a link into it. Mind-blowing book, fundamentally mind-blowing book. And it talks about the aspect of creativity. Now, magic, by definition, is creative. And um, I am going to read you something from this book that speaks to creativity. The sum of all individuals multiplied by the degree of individuality thus gives the degree of innovative capacity of a society. If the latest technocratic minority wants to ensure that only its own ideas of how humanity should live are accepted and not challenged in the long run, it must keep the global capacity for innovation as small as possible or massively reduced. Only then can the ruling elite minimize the likelihood of creative ideas, which might become a threat to their claim to power, arising by chance, even though the implementation of such ideas could lead to a better outcome for humanity. The goal must, therefore, be not only to muzzle the most creative minds through censorship and the threat of punishment, but also to permanently deprive all people of their individuality in order to make them happy without possessions. Sounds familiar? Yeah. Okay. And here's the rub. <laughs> Magic, when you actually grok it, and I mean get it in this really big way, not just believe it's real, okay? It ruthlessly destroys the distortions, myths, and outright lies that are fed to us by the government, the media, corporations, history books. I mean, wow, doing history, you see that a lot. In Hecka, we have this whole thing about how Egyptology has literally changed its position on ancient Egypt like five times. So which one of those is right? <laughs> Organized religion is another one. I mean, there's a whole discussion going on right now about uh, the stories told to us in organized religion, not to mention science and medicine. One day we'll get into the whole science is magic thing. Trust me on that. But anyway, magic allows us to see through the veils in order that you question established norms and narratives. Since magic is a tool for seeking deeper truths beyond what is commonly accepted. Now, magic and its associated practices challenge political authority or promise alternative sources of power that are perceived as a threat. And so they're suppressed. Okay. Here's the last part where it gets really interesting. Okay. The controllers suppress our magic so that they can co-opt it 
and use it for their own purposes. Because they understand better than us, better than me, better than the magicians, the power and practice of magic. As I said, they've been doing it since the Renaissance, right? And it's a perfect scenario because they use a tool on us that we don't even understand or maybe believe in. So it's like, wow, this perfect, perfect, perfect plan. Now, I'm not necessarily a fan of Alex Jones, but what do you think they're actually doing at Bohemian Grove? What do you think Stanley Kubrick was trying to tell us in Eyes Wide Shut that ultimately cost him his life, by the way? What is Marina up to with her spirit cooking? And why is she the darling of the elites? Now, I don't know. I'm not there. And I don't really want to speculate beyond the idea that where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm just saying there's a lot more going on and meets the eye. This Occam's razor thing, I'm having a lot of trouble with that these days. Not the simplest answer is always the answer. Let me just tell you that much. And the reason that I'm not defining magic is because it's so big, so deep, so complicated. It's going to take me eight hours to get there. But let's say this. Magic does not exclude science. It does not exclude psychology. It does not exclude knowing how we think and what makes us tick. If you take the Kybalion, 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 for example, it talks about the principle of mentalism, which states all is mind and the universe is mental, explaining that everything we experience and interpret is is happening in our minds, making the perception of reality subjective. Now, if you are a dark sorcerer, knowing how the mind works is going to make you better at doing your magic. Let's see what Mark Passio says in Hekka. If you are a dark sorcerer, a, a dark occult sorcerer, that you're working modus operandi is to influence people to accept things that are not true objectively and to refuse to accept things that are objectively true that's it you're doing those two basic things and once you get people in that place um mentally spiritually you almost wholly own their behavior because you have influenced their decision-making to such a degree that they can almost never come out of that mindset. And th this is how our reality is actually built. Okay, so that's just one part of it. But you can see how it's a really big part of what's going on today. And let me show you one way that this works. There's a great video, I'll pop it in the notes, and she does a better job than I'm going to do right now, but it also kind of speaks to an idea that's also in the Carvalian. Another tenant of it is gender. Gender is everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles, and that gender manifests on all planes. 
Now, gender, whatever that means these days, let's just talk about it metaphysically, are two parts of the whole. It's like a yin and yang. Think of the male component as the seed or the intent. By itself, it cannot bring into being what it wills without the feminine aspect because the feminine aspect is the medium. It's the field to be planted, okay? So you have the male, the female, the seed, and the field. You can also think of this as the narrative and the brain. So if somebody comes by and plants good seeds in your field, good narratives in your brain, you'll benefit from it. In fact, as she says in the video, I'm trying to plant seeds in your brain right now. But what happens if you get bad seeds? You get a field full of things that you didn't want. Very much like our society right now. And so if one understands the mechanism of gender magically and plants seeds in our fields collectively, we bring into being what they will, even if it does not serve us. In this way, they co-opt us for their magic. Go and have a look at the video to get the concept more. But basically, it's kind of like if we are not diligent about our fields, about our minds, then things like subliminal programming and propaganda and their narratives get into our minds and grow our behaviors and our actions and our beliefs in ways that do not necessarily serve us. But if that weren't bad enough, two years ago, B.C., our friend, Mr. Microsoft, did some serious investment into research on the hippocampus. And basically what he found was that a constant state of fear, like death tolls every day, anxiety, like climate change, and confusion, like, I don't know, all those crazy rules during COVID, right, that completely didn't make any sense, can lead the brain to overwrite our treasured memories with narrative points for the goal of indoctrinating us through the normal functioning of our autobiographical system. And the result is the creation of individuals who have adopted narrative as actually part of their personality. Try talking one of these subjects to some people and see how violently they react. And that's because they've taken these narratives and they've integrated them into their personality. It becomes a personal attack. And this is what Dr. Nels gets into in this book, The Indoctrinated Brain. I mentioned earlier. So go get it. Go read it. It explains so much. Now, if that's not magic key enough for you, because that's just science, 
Let me talk to you about something I found out just last week. Mark Stavish, who is in season three, posted an article to me. And it kind of blew my mind. Because the powers that be are actively in the business of creating magical entities <laughs> to influence us. All right? Now, Mark knows something about this because he wrote a book called Egregores, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. And there's also a live that I did with him on YouTube. So have a look at that and explains a lot more. But here's what gets really crazy. In this article, he explained that he received a lot of attention after publishing that book from a variety of unusual sources, in particular, several known think tanks and universities. Ring him up, right? So for two years, he had lengthy conversations and email exchanges with individuals at Cambridge Analytica, the University of Colorado. Booz Allen Hamilton and other think tanks specifically about egregores and nothing else. And he said in this article, quote, this is a critical point that I fear will be lost on many of you. So let me be very clear. There is a brutal battle going on for the control of the human mind, your mind. And some see it as winner takes all. And what is their weapon? Egregore. What is an egregore, you might ask, because I don't assume you've seen all of my videos. Well, an egregore is like a magical being. It's a non-physical entity that arises from collective thoughts of a kind of distinct group of people. These things can be made deliberately and they can be made accidentally, right? So, for example, the Rosicrucians deliberately make an egregore and then they uh, deactivate it every 12 years because what it is, it's a feedback mechanism. So your thoughts as a member of a group go into the egregore and it affects the egregore and then the egregore kind of affects you. There's like this feedback loop. And what tends to happen is that egregores go bad, right? Because there's always a crazy person in the group or a crazy group within the group. And uh, like, remember um, Occupy, right? Everybody was, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to save the world. But there was always a crazy one or a crazy group and it kind of got in and fucked it up, right? So the same thing happens with egregores. So, you know, the Rosicrucians who are um, responsible <laughs> about it. They deactivate their egregore and make a new one every 12 years, right? It's like cleaning out the kitty litter, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, if you join a political group, for example, he talks about this in the book. If you become a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or whatever, these entities have egregores. And so you kind of get involved in the group think of that group, right? So it's kind of an egregore is really groupthink on steroids. And if you want to really grok it, get the book. It's amazing. But also don't forget 
that Cambridge Analytica and think tanks are talking to our friend Mark on how to do this. Now, Mark goes on to say that they're going to do it anyway. So he may as well try to guide them in a way that is best for humanity, inject some sanity into their ideas of influencing us magically. And he has a good heart, so I know that to be true. As he says, recently I was approached by an organization to assist with the creation of, in their words, an egregore to help shape the near future that is to come. They see the world as heading towards a period of near-universal instability. As we know, they don't like that. Even catastrophic collapse of all significant institutions and countries. They like their institutions. Followed by a period of quick and radical consolidation. The causes and effects of this are uncertain to them. And as such, they wish to develop a psychic vehicle to influence the outcome into a vision of a more positive light. Pretty damn interesting, eh? So, it is interesting that magic has been suppressed. It's interesting that magical practitioners have been persecuted. It's interesting that our paradigm and our academy is such that you are not looked well upon for investigating magical phenomena. Ingo Swan talks about how difficult the research was into psi faculties, which are an aspect of magic. And he talks about the persecution and the suppression in that arena. Oh, another point. Uh, Thomas Sheridan gets into the fact that while we're not allowed to have it, the CIA writing documents on it and doing research on it. And they're, they're lying bastards, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I've been reading a lot lately about the gateway process where the, the US military and the CIA want to develop a way for humans to transcend space-time reality, to move consciousness through different dimensions, right? And they basically took a lot of the work that was done at the Monroe Institute and rebranded it as, you know, CIA. Well, they gave them credit, but well, they gave the credit to stuff that t five years previously they would have called quackery. They would have laughed at. Now, and they came with the concept that, you know, you're talking about not, not knowing what uh, consciousness is, that somehow our perception of reality is, is stuck within this kind of a torsion field. And this torsion field allows us to actually move through space-time if we can somehow break beyond the hyper-condensed quantum fabric of this, this subatomic world we live in. And so they're doing this stuff, and they're aware of it. And yet they ridicule us for doing it because it's like the old George Carlin thing. It's a club and you're not in it. Now, I know you're probably saying, magic's not real, Venice. Venice has lost it. Well, this is a crazy idea. Well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for why you might be thinking I'm crazy. And it's because of the way your world is set up. It's literally designed to push away any thoughts or exploration of magic. The very idea of it has been crafted to be dismissed in your reality. Now, sure, there's things like Netflix, you know, that has Wednesday and other magical films on it. But in a way, those are diversions 
It's like giving you Pepsi when you really crave fresh orange juice. Sure, it quenches your thirst, but it has zero nutritional value and actually does you harm. And that pretty much sums up the magic that you are allowed to play with. The empty, nutrition-free, artificial substitute served up by those that really, really, really don't have your best interests at heart. And kind of let's get real. The New Age community and their secret of manifestation is not much better. That, at best, is a half-truth as I tried to explore in the great work, which kind of got hijacked by my husband. And it doesn't have bad information at all. It has great information, but it misses the point. The point is, is that new age manifestors do not address some fundamentals of magic or manifestation. And a great example of this is like saying that everyone can play violin. And while that's true, everyone could play violin. It misses the critical requirements of attention, energizing, ritual space, practice, and God-given talent needed to make that assertion a reality. So providing partial truths can be deceptive with the potential to mislead or distract or disappoint and discourage individuals, which can ultimately lead to depowerment specifically magical depowerment. Like, how many of us have sat on the couch making vision boards, expecting that to change our lives? So let me explain why this is happening on Magical Egypt. What you will come to understand is that magic has been with humanity as long as there has been humanity. The Lascaux Caves, for example, in France, depict actual magical operations. As Thomas Sheridan points out, look at the, the rock art of ancient Europe and the symbolism and the science, and and show that it was much more than just art; it was magic, and that's really what it was. You had, you see, the caves in southern France where they paint the bison and the other animals, and then the humans throwing spears at them. Well, this is uh, this was to infuse magical powers because somehow. Ancient people discovered that if you put yourself in the position of something that you want to build, and then you 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 you, you charge it with either a piece of artwork, so we're going to have good hunting, or a a a song, a poem, an incantation, the banging of the drum. Whatever happens, it seemed to make the magic work. It seemed to make the aspiration and the will want to happen. And this is something that humans apparently discovered at a very, very early stage. And this is why they dressed in animal skins and stuff like that to try and, like, the shaman wanted to go into the, into the, shaman, the shamanic states of the, of the wolf, of the lion, and so on, to have the, the prowess of the wolf and the lion when hunting, hunting bison or, you know, whatever they were, goats or whatever they hunted. And uh, they didn't, you know, academics would say, okay, it's hunting magic. So it's just, it was for the morale of the triad. But it wouldn't have lasted 50,000 years if it didn't work. And it, if it was just for morale, it then it would have never, it would have stopped after a while. It doesn't, it continues on to other things because it, that, 
they realized it was more than that. They realized that you could actually hack the operating system of the universe. In whatever way they consciously understood how the universe worked in their, in their day and in their time. But they understood you could actually hack reality. So if you drew pictures of bison being successfully hunted by the tribe, maybe had a song or a chant or a drumming, drum bang, poetry thing or whatever, somehow you did get one bison, you got two. Somehow every hunt worked where before it didn't. And then the academic would turn around and say, well, it was just because maybe it just it, it created a, a stronger morale, gave them bravery. They had the, the feeling of the gods were there with them. I would say that they were discovering that they were humans were different than other animals, that our nervous system and our cognition allowed us to transform or transplant our consciousness beyond present space-time reality. But magic reached its zenith in ancient Egypt. In ancient Egypt, everything involved magic. Now we get into depth in Heka, which is Season 4, Episode 1. So I won't dive too deeply here, but let me assure you this. When you understand magic and the magic of ancient Egypt, everything else falls into place. Especially when you take into consideration the brain schematics the guys found in Season 2 and the energizing Kundalini energy they talk about in Season 3. And so much more falls into place. Like Magical Egypt, while we do, you know, look at artifacts, <laughs> I think you might have realized by now that our focus is on consciousness, right? And so consciousness and magic go hand in hand. And let me add, I myself am only a dabbler in magic. And yes, I have had some success. But today I'm speaking to you as an investigative journalist, really, okay? A whistleblower even, as my last four years of research into magic and over 20 years looking deeply into ancient Egypt have lifted the veil from my eyes. Hell, when we started, I didn't even grok why it was called Magical Egypt. And in truth, I don't even think that John Anthony West understood the gravity of what he was telling us when he coined that phrase. And finally, today, I'm not going to define magic because it is my suspicion that you do not even have the faculties yet to grok it, right? And that's not your fault. <laughs> Defining magic right now is like trying to teach a fish to fly. Okay, so a fish is defined by the fact that it's living in water. And we are defined by our own paradigm. And just like flying is not possible in water, magic is not possible when constrained by our reductionist materialist paradigm. But, as the Talmud states, ten measures of magic were given to the world. Egypt received nine, while the rest of the world received one. So they knew about it, we're onto it, and I'm going to share it with you, okay? But it's just going to take me some time. <laughs> oh, so now, if you're like, mm, okay, I don't believe any of this because I believe in magic. So how is it being suppressed? Okay, well, 
I'll grant you that you might believe in it. And it's actually worthy of noting that a huge percentage of the population is actually enchanted. We believe in things that fall into the category of magical things. We believe in astrology and psychics and tarot and angels and spirits and communication with the dead, all kinds of things. But belief in and the practice of are two totally different things. And the reason I believe that more people are not operative or actually engaged in the practice of magic is because of a conspiracy as old as history itself to render us inoperative, depowered, and fundamentally compliant and controllable. Right? Okay? So the fact of the matter is, is that magic is something that we're not allowed. Magic is something that the government, the institutions, the controllers are using against us. Now, if you want to understand a little bit more about this, we have Heka now. We have Heka 1, right? And it talks about the ancient Egypt as aspects. But we're going to go deeper as we go through. But I just really wanted to give you a heads up. And primarily because I got that book, The Indoctrinated Brain, and it just blew my mind. All of this stuff blows my mind. Okay, there deleting our memories, they're turning us into zombies. They're, that's a thing that he says in the book, by the way. And they're utilizing magical entities on us. Right? Oh, and here's just a little bit of breaking news. <laughs> this literally came up on my feed. And it tells the perfect story about the outcome of information that is being hoarded in a very tangible way. So have a listen to this. Have you ever heard of a game called Werewolf? No. Everyone gets a piece of paper. Okay, so this part got cut out. Everybody gets a piece of paper. There are two pieces of paper that have werewolf on it, and the rest of the people have villagers on it. So basically in the whole group, most of the people are villagers, but two people are werewolves. Someone runs the game to make sure no one's cheating, and they go, okay, it's nighttime, everyone close your eyes. Werewolves choose someone to kill, and the werewolves go... They say, okay, everyone close your eyes, it's morning time, open them again. During the night, Francis was killed. There's then a conversation, and this is where it gets interesting, mm. between all the villagers and the two werewolves over who the werewolves are. Then at the end of the day, the, the villagers have to decide who they're going to kill, and they say, well, we're going to kill Constantine. Mm. It's revealed by the person running the game, I'm afraid Constantine was a villager. And the game continues. Mm. The villagers win the game if they kill both werewolves. Mm. The werewolves win the game if they kill all but two villagers. And the werewolves usually win. The game was invented by a student of sociology in Russia who wanted to prove his thesis that an uninformed majority will always lose a battle of information against an informed minority. So that wow. just shows when you have hidden information, you can completely manipulate a large group of people. People, it should be. But mmm, doesn't that speak volumes? So it couldn't get any crazier. So anyway, darlings, I hope this was interesting. Oh, and if you please, I mean, we are so suppressed, like seriously, so suppressed. Okay, so like and subscribe and please share. So thank you for your attention. That's magical. And more soon. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Heka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. 
It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Catstrop, Shauna Holm, Mark Passio, John Zaraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com. Yeah. 